Hello and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin. And this week we are, we'll briefly discuss the World Road Race Championships and uh, preview the Giro d'Italia or just a quick preview. And then, oh man, there is a monument, Liege Baston Liege on Sunday. This is, and there's also the Bink Bank Tour going on this week. There's way too much cycling. It's, it's, it's absurd. I don't know whose idea this was, but they should have slimmed the calendar down a little bit. Uh, but first, if you want to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash btppod. And there is a newsletter. If you're listening to this podcast, you love the newsletter, so you should sign up now. You can sign up at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. There's a free and premium option. But if you sign up for the free option, uh, just send me a note, and I will comp you a premium subscription for uh, some, some amount of time. Uh, and thank you for everyone who's signed up for the premium option. That's fantastic. And also for people who buy me coffees and especially the mem- membership op- option. That's been a much better response than I thought it would be. Okay, so let's get into the cycling. Uh, Julian Alaphilippe won the Road Race World Championships. Uh, if you read my pre-Road Race World Championships newsletter, I said Van Aert would win and it no one else could possibly win. I didn't hedge on betting at all. Uh, Woot got bested. He finished second. Uh, it was a really impressive ride by Alaphilippe. Uh, he just kind of did this big chain ring attack at the top of the final climb. It was downhill for about 11 kilometers into the finish. I mean, he couldn't have planned it any better. And even though he was on his own, and there was, I believe there was six riders chasing, six or five riders chasing, uh, he's always going to have the advantage there because he's committed. The, the lone rider is committed. And the people behind are thinking about, well, if I work too hard, then everyone else is just going to, I'll pull him back and then everyone will outsprint me for the win. So you just kind of get this interesting, like prisoner's dilemma, game theory situation going on. So in that, I call it the lone rider theory and these late race situations where teammate, there's no teammates left. The lone rider at the front, it always has the advantage. And I mean, they win a surprising amount of time, but it's kind of a skewed experiment, right? Because the right, he attacked, he had the ability to attack because the same thing as Sagan in, I believe, 2015 Richmond World Championships. So you would assume he's the strongest rider. So no one in the group is as strong as him. So of course they can't pull him back. Uh, you got some it, it, world championships are a weird race. It, they're really long, like almost 300 kilometers long. They're always on a like a circuit. They're not done with trade teams. They're done with national teams. So it's just a odd to see everyone in different jerseys. And then you have teammate guys that are teammates 364 days out of the year racing against each other. And guys are working. You're working for people just because you're from the same country as them. I would find that strange. It's like what well, I. I don't know, I, especially since they make, I mean, a lot of these guys make millions of dollars per year racing for, I don't know, Jumbo Visma. And then it's like, I'm arbitrarily racing with just someone else because we're from the same country. And I'm not supposed to remember that I'm making tons of money to work with these other people. Uh, I think it's kind of strange. I, I find it to be interesting. I, the, the finales are always pretty good, but the big, I mean, not really, no, nothing notable happens early. The only example of in recent memory would be the Cutter World Championships, and that must have been 2016. And Cutter, 
uh they went out into the desert it's actually kind of an interesting race to go back and watch at some point uh and like they they hit crosswinds like 180k from the finish and it blew up the race and that's where the winning move went but other than that these things always they're just you just they're kind of uh races of attrition you just kind of sit in and it gets harder and harder and harder more riders get more dropped it's like the action is like from the back versus from the front and then the strongest rider attacks or the strongest few riders attack at the end and they get away and then they sprint or the single rider stays away. It's they're, they I don't know. They're okay. It's, they're not, it's kind of, they're all like kind of like Milan San Remo. Um, it's just the most exciting thing is like it carries consequences because then that person is in the world champion for the next 12 months. I could have a whole series of podcasts about maybe ways we could redo the world championships. Cause instead of just like a single arbitrary course, you could do, you could do something else. But uh, it was a pretty good race. Uh, great, great win for Alaphilippe. In retrospect, it makes so much sense that he was a little off form at the Tour, and then he kind of rode himself into shape. I think the key thing here was losing the yellow jersey with that bottle feed. If he doesn't lose that, he's got to go really deep. And he, I bet he defends that jersey for like 10, 10 stages uh, and probably fries himself out, and he doesn't win the World Championships. So I think that he won the World Championships when he took that bottle and lost the yellow jersey on i believe stage five yeah maybe stage five um and that allowed him just to kind of race the tour on his own terms i mean there was days where he was like you can look at videos and he's just like creeping through the alps but that's really good training paolo Bettini would do the same thing uh the worlds usually follow the volta espana and paolo Bettini would do the same thing where he would win a couple stages early at the volta he had this crazy theory where he would like purposely bonk I'm like a week before worlds at the Vuelta and he, he just like thought it like cleansed his body and then like let his body build up new power sources after that bonk. Um, but I, I don't know if that's true, but I think he, you know, the point is he wasn't competing for wins in the final week. Uh, just kind of, you know, hard, good, hard riding. You, you're using, you're racing as training. I, I think it's, I mean, it's a proven way to win worlds. Uh, so that worked out great for Alaphilippe. Woot Van Aert was second. Uh, it's probably good for the sport too. If Woot Van Aert wins that, that's possibly too much winning. It's just like, okay, so ever Woot Van Aert's going to win everything forever. That's less fun. The fact that he got second at TT Worlds and then second in the road race, it's like, that's a highly impressive double, but it's like, oh, you, there's room to improve there. It shows he's human. Someone else gets to shine. So I think all in all, it was good. Uh, third place went to Mark Hershey, who also won Fleshwell alone on Wednesday. Once again, there's way too much racing. Oh my lord! Uh, Hershey was impressive both at Worlds and at Fleshwell alone. He is, I think, going to be a bona fide star of the future. Uh, TT Worlds. I just wanted to talk about how insanely fast that was. Like for the last half of the course, I think they had a tailwind, but still, it was like average of 57 kilometers an hour. And I, I mean, I have to imagine their watts were. Uh, Filippo Ghana of Italy won. The guy's like an absolute wattage cottage. I, I would bet that he averaged over 500 watts for the, the 35 minute TT, which is, it's crazy. And I, I think Woot Van Aert was probably about 500 or just below that. I mean, it is, I, I think something that goes un, kind of unreported in the media is, so Chris Froome is allegedly racing the Volta Espana as a co-leader on uh, Ineos. And there's, oh, can Chris Room come back? Is he going to be competing for Tour de France wins um, in 2021 at Israel Cycling, no, Israel Startup Nation and beyond? 
Uh, I don't think people don't talk about it. Chris Froome would have to be faster than he was in his prime to be competing for these wins. You know, it's like Chris Froome now, it would be incredible if Chris Froome could get back to the very best he ever was. I mean, that would probably almost be impossible, but that still wouldn't be fast enough. I, I don't think that's talked about quite enough. It's just like just how much faster this new generation is. Um, I think Tony, I mean, I, I clocked Felipe Ogana. I think it was the third fastest time trial world championships average speed. Uh, Tony Martin was that had the two above him. And Tony Martin was like, I mean, he's like a once in a generation talent. So it, it's it, the speeds at these races are it's it's so high. Uh, and then one last thing on worlds, we saw a lot of climber. It was a climb. You know, there was like 15,000 feet of climbing in that road race and quote unquote like climbers. Like, I think Primoz Roglic was the only GC guy to make it over the final climb in that front group, and he was really struggling. Just shows you, like, not all climbing is created equally. It was, uh, like, very short distances. I think the longest climb was 3K long. Uh, That's more of, like, a muscular, like, you can use your body's, like, muscularity to climb up that. So it's, like, a little bit bigger, a little bit more powerful rider is better for that, like a Woot Van Aert or Julian Alaphilippe. And he's not big, but he's, he's a muscular, explosive guy uh re- relative to the rest of the peloton so that just is like a good little um it's like a good lesson where it's like not all just you don't look at a route and see oh there's a lot of like climbing and they're going up a lot but that doesn't tell the whole story you got to really dig into that because like richie port tom dumoulin tade pogachar we know these guys are all really good like the best in the world at climbing and they all got dropped so or even Vincenzo Nibali was there at the end and he couldn't hang over that. It was just too explosive in the last like three minutes of that climb. So th- I thought that was really interesting. Vincenzo Nibali is a good segue to our next topic. The Giro d'Italia starts on Saturday. <laughs> I, I can't get over this. This is crazy. The, the Tour de France is finished. Uh, it's fall and we're starting the Giro, which is a spring race, which usually kicks off the Grand Tours. Uh, and then we have five consecutive weeks of Grand Tours because. The Vuelta España starts and overlaps with the Giro d'Italia. And then we have the classics that overlap with both of those races. So I'm not quite sure how I'm going to handle the newsletter. Uh, I'm doing a daily. I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. I'm doing a daily newsletter for uh, Grand Tours. And then we also, so I'm going to be doing double newsletters at some point. And then at some point, like triple, because there'll be classics on some of these same days. So that's going to be wild. Uh, sign up to see how I figure that out. But uh, let's just let's let's not get overwhelmed. Let's take a step back. Giro starts on Saturday. Let's look at that route. So the Giro, it's uh, historically, I'd say the Giro is like the most exciting. I find it to be the most exciting. I think I mean, Italy is a beautiful country. Uh, it's just got got a great cycling history, a uh, great great cycling culture. It's very colorful. It's a colorful country. So there's just, there's always crazy stuff going on at the Giro, and just the topography of Italy. It's really, I mean, there's the breadbasket breadbasket kind of industrial area around Milan, like Milano to Venice, Milano to Venezia. Uh, but that's really kind of the only flat part. I mean, it's like once you go north of that or you go south of that, you're hitting mountains. So Really, any route they pick, it, there's a lot of climbing. Um, a lot of the roads are twisty, turny, and they're going through these towns. It's it gets wild. So even like quote unquote boring stages of the Giro can be quite exciting. Uh, and 
it's not it's kind of a strange uh route because it does have three time trials totaling to i think 64 kilometers of time trials which for a modern grand tour is quite a bit to put that into perspective the tour de france had one tt that was 36k long so it is about double of the tour de france uh i count five true mountain stages i if you 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 could say eight stages feature mountain passes uh, some of those are just going to be, they're, they're not, that's like one of them is like a flat stage with a mountain pass and then a flat stage again. Like I don't, that's going to be a breakaway day or nothing's going to happen on that day. So, and there's a lot of uh, intermediate kind of like hilly, hilly stages and then a few sprint stages. Uh, so, but what we get, I touched on this last podcast where you, you can look at a route and it's, oh, there's only one time trial, so it's going to be one in the mountains. Or there's three time trials, it's going to be one in the time trials, not in the mountains. You sometimes get an inverse effect here. Like the 2019 Giro, three ind- individual time trials, uh, about the same distance as the 2020. Uh, 2019 Giro, well, my lord, that was a boring race. Um, I hope you don't get a repeat of that. Uh, 20, I mean, so 2017, 2018, and 2019 Giro uh, were all similar parkours uh in 2017 2018 were very exciting so it's not necessarily going to be boring but i I don't know what happened if they just had to like they did some pretty bad routes last year like the first 14 days were all just like total snooze fest or sorry first i know como stage was was very exciting so first like 12 days um and that that race was won by richard carapaz who's not a time trialist at all He's just a climber. So, and then you think about the 2020 tour, one time trial was won by uh, the best time trialist in the race, Tade Pogacar. You know, that's where he took almost all of his time. So you can't really just count up. Uh, I, I think this is like, ha- I see it happening in real time where it's Garrett Thomas is doing this race. He got second at TT Worlds. So, well, no, no, he got fourth at TT Worlds. And She's like, well, Garrett Thomas got it in the bag because it's got a lot of time trials. Uh, not so fast. That's like not how that works. And you, when you get more of one thing, usually the inverse is then accentuated and actually becomes more important. Uh, so I, yeah, we'll go, let's, and then we'll go, let's go through the favorites now where if we just look at the betting odds, Garrett Thomas is a plus 110. That's like really, those are really good odds. Way too high. Uh, I'll just go through the odds and then we'll we'll talk about who I think is a good good bet. Simon Yates plus three two five three hundred twenty five. Stephen Kreiswick plus six hundred. Vincenzo Nibali plus eight hundred. Uh, Alexander Vlaskov, who I love, uh, plus twelve hundred. Rafa Mica, don't bet on him at all. Plus twenty five hundred. Michal Angel Lopez, uh, why is he even here? Plus, I think he's here for punishment because he's leaving the team. And they thought it'd be funny to make him do this two weeks after he tried to win the tour. Uh, plus 2,500. Uh, Wilco Kelderman, plus 3,300. Julian Ciccone, plus 66. And then it's like, it's the poo-poo platter after that. We got like Zachary and Teo Gigginhart. We don't even need to look at those guys. So, I mean, the cl- like this is a weak field. Like, let's be clear here. This is one of the weakest fields in a Grand Tour I've seen in a long time. Uh, and I, I mean, maybe that's why Garrett Thomas is, is favored so heavily because he got second at the 2019 tour. He won the 2018 tour. He's looked in great time trial shape. Uh, he had a pretty good time trial at the 
Torino Adriatico race. So, and this is a time trial heavy race. So he's the favorite, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, he was really out of shape at the Dauphiné Libre in August, if you remember that. That wasn't that long ago. It's October 1st right now. That was less than two months ago. He was in very bad shape. Uh, he has gotten himself into great time trialing shape. Uh, but people are talking about him like he didn't win Terreno Adriatico. He got beat pretty handily, by the way, by Simon Yates. Simon Yates dropped him by like 40 seconds on a mountain stage, on the only really tough mountain stage of that race. Uh, I would, I mean, I don't know. I've seen, we've seen the foundation is cracked. We saw that at the Dauphiné. And internally, the team had such little confidence in him, they didn't take him to the Tour de France. Even though they knew themselves, they really didn't have much. I mean, that was like a big bluff, the Tour was. They knew Carapaz wasn't ready. They knew Bernal had a bad back, was out of shape, overtrained. Like, three thing, the, the three worst things you can be in cycling. And they took those guys anyway over Garrett Thomas. Like, what does that say? You know, so we, we've seen the foundation of the house is cracked. And then I, I'm looking at these, I could be wrong here, but I'm looking at these time trial results. Like this is like spackle over a crack where it's like, yes, that's impressive. But you I mean, that's a 30, these are like 30 minute efforts or less where, you know, <laughs> trust me, coming from someone who's often out of shape, you can, you can really uh, look at in form for a little bit. And then when the distance goes out, I mean, you really start to fall apart. So I, I'm not convinced that he's, just back in great shape. And he is time trialing incredibly well. But he said himself, the Dauphiné, he was too heavy. Uh, the watts were good. The weight was not good. Uh, has that been fixed? I, I don't know. I mean, you can, you can time trial well with a lot of weight. So uh, it's, it's, not been, it's not totally clear to me that like now he's good at climbing again. I don't know. For, I, that Terreno Adriatico result was... Uh, I, I was confused. I, the media seemed to eat it up. Like, oh my God, this guy is going to win the Giro because he got second at Torino? What? Because Simon Yates, who's plus 325, uh, won Torino Adriatico and looked much better than Garrett Thomas did. Um, it was, I mean, Torino was a weird race too. I mean, that's a boring race. I never noticed how boring it was until it ran counter to the Tour de France. But let's just look at the stages. It was... Sprint stage, it's sprint stage, sprint stage, hilly stage, hilly stage, mountaintop finish. Simon Yates wins by 35 seconds over Garrett Thomas. Sprint stage, hilly stage that was kind of a sprint, like a circuit race, and then a time trial that's 10K long. And it's not a hard, I mean, that is a snoozer. Uh, that usually happens in the spring. So I think we're just all, I'm just so excited to see bike racing. I've never noticed that that was a really, really boring race. Uh, but wow, that was boring. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, Simon Yates, I, I'm not a big Simon Yates. In, in our household, Simon Yates is not to be mentioned because he toyed with us at the 2018 Giro. He looked incredible and then he totally fell apart. And let's just say it, forgot how to ride his bike. Uh, he did. I mean, he did come back though. So I'm not, a, I mean, I, I don't really believe in Simon Yates. It pains me to have him as my favorite, but he's my favorite for this race. He did come back and win the Volta Espana later that year, which was impressive. Uh, but that's his only podium in a Grand Tour in his career. So uh, yeah, not exactly like confidence inspiring. 
And then, so Simon Yates is my favorite. My second favorite, or my the writer I think is second most likely to win, is another writer I have absolutely zero confidence in. Stephen Kreiswick, plus 600. Uh, yeah, I mean, the guy totally, totally dropped the ball in 2016. He had this race wrapped up, uh, rode into a snowbank. You know, and then once that happened, he was hurt and he was going to lose the race. But just the snow, if you watch that snowbank stage, it was a mental mistake. He just like, I don't know. He kind of seems like a nervous person to me. I, I, he just doesn't seem like a killer. You got to be a killer to win these races. Like there's two types of people. Like there's people who win these and people who don't win these. And there's many more people that don't win them than people that win them. Like if you watch the Movistar documentary on Netflix, Carapaz is God. Like, I don't want to say, it's not like, I don't want to sound like a, like a, like a manalytics guy, but he's just got it. Like he's a killer. You know, and you look at Landa, he doesn't have it. Like, Mikko Landa's never going to... You watch that documentary, and you're just like, Mark Soler and Mikko Landa are never going to win Grand Tours. They just don't have it. Uh, and I don't think Steven Kreuz... I mean, up at, I, I never would have thought he would win a Grand Tour. Uh, he got third at the Tour last year. Uh, it was not the best field, but it was better than this field. Uh, and, yeah, he's, he's good. He's good at time trialing. He's good at climbing. He looked in pretty good shape at the Dauphiné. He crashed out and broke his shoulder blade, I think, or scapula. Uh, so don't really know what type of form he's in, but just in the absence of any big favorites, uh, he, he's a consistent rider who is very capable at the type of things they will face in this race. So, and he's on a very strong team. Jumbo Visma, uh, I think he could win this. Jumbo, by the way, could get second of the Tour, win the Giro and win the Vuelta because Tom Dumoulin and Primoz Roglic are going to the Vuelta to win it, to try to win it. So that's an interesting subplot. So uh, Garrett Thomas is my third most likely rider to win at plus 110. These are terrible odds. I wouldn't bet on them. Uh, at Kreuzwick. Kreuzwick's got great odds. And Simon Yates, too, I think is a good bet. You know how I feel about Thomas. He's in great time trial shape. It's not clear to me how he's doing climbing. And the Giro, the Giro is hard. I mean, you look at these stages, it's like, oh, this is straightforward. You look at the Wikipedia page, it's like, oh, a couple mount stages, a couple time trials, a lot of sprints. This is easy. It's not easy. Like, uh, riders like Garrett Thomas don't usually, he's like a very, uh, like, rote, like, he's just like a, like, a, kind of like a, he's on a track, like a train track, and he's very good at these, you know, straightforward tasks. Riders like that don't normally win the Giro. It's, you got to be fluid. You got to be water. Uh, and speaking of that, Vincenzo Nibali is the definition of that. Uh, plus 800. Uh, he's, it's, the race starts on his home island of Sicily. Uh, he's the hometown favorite here. So, yeah, little hitch with Nibali. He has been terrible this year. He's looked not in good shape at all, uh, especially since the restart. He got dropped by his two teammates at Lombardia. He got like 19th overall at Terreno Adriatico. He looked okay at Worlds. I mean, there was like a shimmer of hope there. He was the last. Second last GC guy on the climb. Uh, he went and he was there with Roglic, but he got popped. And he normally doesn't get popped on, on power climbs like that. I mean, I guess I, he did get dropped at, if you remember when uh, Nicky Terpstra went Tour Flanders, and I think 2018, uh, he, it was like a similar power climb and he just got popped right off that wheel. Uh, but it shows that he's improving. Uh, and Nibali is kind of, he's, he's the only guy in the Peloton who can win races when he's like not the strongest at anything. 
So he won the 2016 Giro d'Italia. He was down almost five minutes on stage going into stage 17, and he was not the strongest rider in that race. So like, he came back from five minutes down just on kind of like tricks, like just it's all like kind of smoke and mirrors. And then Kreuzberg, he's go, he was like going over down a descent fast. Kreuzberg was trying to keep up with him. He crashed, and then he picks off two. He was in fourth place. So just because Kreuzberg crashes, it's not like he won because of that. He had to pick off two more riders in front of him, which were Valverde and Esteban Chavez. Uh, he's he's wily and he's very good in these Italian races. I mean, he's he's probably the world's best descender. He can read a race incredibly well. I mean, he's like, he's a fighter. <laughs> These are like all words I hate. Oh my God. I'm like turning into like a Skip Bayless. But eh, yeah, I, I'm hesitant to use these words, but I think they're relevant in this situation where like he, he just like knows how to get it done, especially in these tricky races. So I wouldn't totally write him off. Uh, he's 35. He's old. It breaks all of my rules. I always bet on youth. Uh, he's 35 years old like who who could win this like this on paper this is not a not a good prediction or bet but i don't know i i wouldn't he is he, he's a magician he can pull race wins out of thin air uh and i it would it would be it's going to be really interesting to watch him try and he's i i really admire him because he he doesn't win all he's only won two zeros in his career but he, i bet he's finished second four times i mean maybe like four times i mean he's he fights and he loses a lot, but I think that what that's what makes him great is because he's willing to put it on the line and lose. And there's not many riders that are willing to do that. A lot of riders, the moment they see they might not win, they kind of give up, especially a lot of these big champions. And Nibali's not like that at all. So that's what I a, admire about him and I think um, makes him dangerous in any situation. Okay, so now we get to Alexander Vlaskov at plus 1,200. And you're saying, what? Who? Who? Alexander what? Um, I don't even know if that's how you say his name, last name, Vlaskov. But this guy, he's a 24-year-old Russian on Astana. Uh, you've probably never heard of him. He hasn't, he's had some decent results uh, so far, but nothing crazy until COVID hits. There's a big break. I mean, it's kind of a sketchy career, for honest. So he's on Gazprom, which was like a notoriously big doping team. And then COVID hits, and there's no out-of-competition dope testing, EPO testing, drug testing. And then he comes back, and he's amazing, like best rider in the world. Uh, he wins the moment to climbing. I don't, I mean, that's just, it looks odd, is all I'm saying. I don't know anything about him, though. Uh, he wins the Mumbai 2 climbing challenge with like one of the fastest times of all time uh, in, in August, so not that long ago. Uh, he's in theory a good time trialist, so it's like so he's a world class climber, world class time trialist. Got fifth place at Torino, uh, and he's on Astana, which I think is good because uh, Miguel Angel Lopez and Jakob Fulsang are like the media loves these guys. They're going to talk about them nonstop, and no one's going to mention Vlaskov. He's going to fly under the radar. Fulsang's going to fall apart. Lopez and Fulsang are going to fall apart a week and a half in, and then he's going to kind of emerge as a secret leader for Astana. Uh, I think it's perfect for him. I mean, I, this is like my Pavel Sivakov pick where it's like, I, I don't know, I maybe have a soft spot for these like young Russian riders. But I mean, I, think, I still think Sivakov's great. He had a bad tour. That's a bad look for me. I got a lot of crap for that. Uh, but... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, at, 12, at plus 1200, and it's such a weak, this is a weak field. I mean, this, you could get a funky winner this year like Vlaskov, and you've got to be able to climb and time trial, and he can do both. You know, not Yates, 
And I mean, Simon Yates can't really time trial. Nibali can't really time trial. I mean, that's, that's kind of those are kind of big skill sets missing. So, yeah, I think keep an eye on him. It's going to be interesting. And then Jakob Fulsang. I'm only mentioning him because he's like, he's at plus 600, really big favorite. But I don't know what people are talking about. Like, I'm, I have his career grand tour results pulled up. I'll put them in the newsletter that will go out tomorrow morning. But he has, he has one top 10 in the grand tour in his entire career. And he's 35 years old. That's not good. It, it was seventh of the Tour de France in 2013. I mean, that's a good, that's an okay result. But that was seven years ago, seventh place. I mean, what are, what, I don't know. What are we even talking about here, guys? Like, <laughs> this is crazy that he's being considered. He's just not a Grand Tour rider. Like, he's a one-day racer who can, you know, he's won, I think, the Dauphiné twice, which is a one-week stage race. And that's a very different type of rider than people who win Grand Tours. And that's okay. People can have different race profiles. But, yeah, it's not really worth talking about him as a potential winner of this race. Uh, so here's, but this is where things get really interesting to me. So I don't know if, yeah, I don't know who was, if you guys were checking, uh, Italian weather, uh, Italian weather patterns last weekend. I'm sure everyone was, but there's been a lot of snow in the Dolomites, uh, in the Alps and the Pyrenees, which is where these, uh, the Giro and the Volta are all going to go in like three weeks time. I mean, in the Giro's case, two weeks' time. So oh, the Giro, by the way, has a mountain stage up a volcano. On st- So I said it was a kind of a boring route, but this is all kind of relative. There's a mountain stage on stage three, a summit finish up Mount Etna, which is a really freaking big climb. It's a volcano in Sicily. So, I mean, it's going to get hot early. I mean, you have a, a summit finish on stage three, mountain stage on stage four, mountain stage on stage five. So... Yeah, me saying it's kind of a boring template is, uh, yeah, that's a relative statement. Etna's, Etna's not the most exciting climb. It's a fast climb. Like, these guys are going to fly up it, but you, you'll get gaps. You know, it's kind of like Haleakala, where it's not super steep, but it's long, and then it's exposed at the top, and people can sprint away and get gaps up there. Like, someone like Vlaskov could get 20 seconds, and he won't be marked, and those 20 seconds could be really important in the third week. Uh, but yeah, and so the, I mentioned those three mountain stages because they could potentially be the only three mountain stages in the race because it's snowing like a lot in the Italian mountains right now. Uh, I'll put some pictures in the newsletter, but so I, I'm kind of thinking like this could easily get to the north of Italy in mid September, mid October, and they just can't race the mountain passes. So that really changes the the nature of the race. I mean, that would really help uh, riders like Garrett Thomas. I mean, Jakob Fulsang. I mean, that. So yeah. I mean, now we're let's let's reopen the Jakob Fulsang case. But the thing is, Fulsang normally doesn't stumble on high mountain stages. He usually gets caught up by just like the rigors of three weeks of racing. Uh, and then yeah. So I I don't know what his odds are, but. Peter Sagan has come into this thing, and he's going to be in great shape. Uh, I guess the, the TTs are maybe too hard for him, but that'd be a funny. If you could find a book to take it, put money on Sagan because if he, <laughs> if he he's going to rip this race up because he's going to be so fit from the tour, and there's a lot of stages that suit him. 
He, so he, by the way, he's going to the Giro d'Italia, not the classics, which are where he should be going because the Giro paid him a ton of money. They just like backed the Brinks truck, truck up. I bet they paid him 3 million euros to do this. Uh, he's never, I don't think he's ever raced a Giro before. So it's a big deal. And I think it's a savvy move on his part. I'm sure he didn't think this through. He was like, oh, th- how, many year, how many million euros? Yeah, I'll be there. But it's savvy because Amstel Gold, which is a classic, was canceled in Holland. Uh, the Bink Bank Tour has had two stages canceled. Uh, there's no guarantee that the classics happen this year. I mean, it, it, I, I personally didn't think any races would get canceled. I thought these European governments would just like plow through COVID. Like, I don't care how many cases we have. We're not shutting back down again. Uh, I've been proven wrong. I mean, some of these governments are, are really serious about canceling races. So for Sagan, it's like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Like, yeah, show up to the Giro, get paid, start it. It's called a start fee, not a finish fee. Doesn't matter if the race gets canceled by the Italian government, you still get paid. I think it's a good, I mean, he's got a lot of heat for this decision. I think it makes a lot of sense just from the financial point of view. Uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, the, yeah, so these, these one-day races getting canceled, it's a little bit different than Grand Tours. I think the Italian government is going to be more protective of this Euro than the Dutch are of the Bink Bank Tour or the Amstel. I mean, Amstel Gold's a pretty big race, though. Uh, and, the, and the Spanish, I mean, there's like 12,000 daily COVID cases a day in Spain right now. There's less in Italy. There's like 1,400. But, you know, that could easily spiral out of control. Yeah, it's not, I mean, I don't know. It's not totally clear that, that these races will be totally unaffected by COVID. So they could get the rug pulled. Out. I, I would, my, uh, not my fear. I mean, uh, it really, at the end of the day, what does this all matter? The rate, like COVID's the real concern. That's what we should be worried about. COVID and the right of, rise of dictatorships and uh, former thriving democracies are the two big concerns. But outside of that, uh, I think a couple of these mountain stages could get canceled. So just keep that in mind as, as the Giro is going on and the same thing with the Volta. Uh, I mean, really, if I was kind of joking about the Peter Sagan thing, but I, I really don't care for the guy personally, but Rowan Dennis is a plus 10,000 on BetMGM. Uh, he's the best time trialist in the race. He could win. I mean, in theory, he could win this. Uh, he could gain enough time in the TTs. He's probably going to do well on Mount Etna. Uh, if, they, if Ineos doesn't burn him up as a domestique before the third week, if some of these high mountain stages get called off, he could potentially win. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't love to see that. I don't really care for him. The opening time trial, as I talk about in the newsletter, there's like no, no stage can be like de-zero-fied. The zero will make a regular sprint stage insane. Like they'll be coming through uh, an ancient village through tiny streets on a, <laughs> in the last three kilometers. They'll go through, they'll have to like ride through a restaurant. Everyone has to wash a dish, eat a cannoli. And then ride back out the front door, uh, and then there's a twenty percent hill to finish on. Like these are the, in, these are really wild stage finishes usually. Uh, and the opening time trials, no, you think an opening time trial? It's fourteen kilometers long. That's pretty straightforward. Well, this one starts on a steep climb outside of Palermo, and it just like kicks up for maybe a kilometer, and then it's downhill. It's just flying downhill into Palermo, and then it's like twisting through the streets of Palermo on a time trial bike going downhill, which is going to be so fast. So, I mean, you could see favorites crash on Saturday on the first stage on an opening time trial. So 
just something to keep in mind with the Giro, where you can look at the route, it looks straightforward. You've seen, you, you watch the Tour de France, you think, yeah, I know what bike racing's about. This is like a whole different animal. Uh, yeah, so that starts on Saturday. Liege Bastogne Liege is on Sunday. Luckily, Liege Bastogne Liege is, I think, the worst monument, and it's not even close. That thing stinks. Uh, it's hard. It's probably the, the hardest monument. It's not through the the region it's through in Belgium. It's honestly not the most uh, picturesque region. It's pretty industrial. The finish is weird. I always find the finish weird. It's like finishes outside of a gas station. It's really strange. I, I don't quite know why they picked that as the finishing spot for one of the quote unquote biggest races in the world. Uh, cycling, I don't think it's as popular in the French speaking region of Belgium as the Flemish speaking region. And I think that shows on the. It's just not the excitement on the side of the road. Uh, I'll talk about it. I'm not even going to preview it here. There's too much going on. But well, I'll I'll put it. I'll I'll slip it in a newsletter. I'll talk about it on the podcast next week a little bit. Uh, I would say. I mean, let's just look at the start list. Uh, who's I mean, Jakob Fulsang would actually be my favorite, but he's not. I mean, Julian Alaphilippe could win it. He actually could do really well there. Uh, who else is starting? Tej Benut. He could win it. Me, I mean, Mark Hershey. Mark Hershey would be actually a really good pick there. Uh, but yeah, this is all, it's all very weird. Everything's diluted because there's so many races going on at the same time. Well, uh, and I, I don't know if I talked about this enough, but I watched the Tour de France on Flow Bikes. So it was on NBC Sports in the US. Uh, but I, there's so many commercials on it. It's crazy how many commercials it is. Uh, it's like commercials with a little bit of cycling sprinkled in. So I bought a flow bike subscription and they have, I ha- also have a Eurosport subscription. It's not as user-friendly though, because flow bikes has an app um, on both the Roku and my iPhone, which makes it really easy. And even though it wasn't available in the US, you, I could easily just use a VPN on my phone and stream it from my phone. I think the Giro is, the Vault is also on NBC, so it's blocked in the US. I think the Giro is just on flow bikes so you don't even have to use the vpn but i can't recommend flow bikes enough it's really good uh i don't think it's uh, yeah i don't think this year is like broadcast in the u.s otherwise so if you're listening to this podcast maybe my newsletter is the only the best way to keep up with it uh that that's my strong pitch i don't know i think my newsletter might be the best way to follow it perhaps maybe uh, but it, it honestly could be i i i didn't get in the zero until i started pirating races it's a really hard race to watch uh but yeah if you can if you can get into it it's i think it's quite rewarding it's a beautiful race beautiful country beautiful people love the people love the culture uh and yeah watch it read the newsletter and we'll meet back here next week all right well everyone have a great week enjoy the weekend of all the bike racing yeah make sure you watch that bink bank tour I can't miss that. Oh, and remember to rate and review the podcast. Rate it five stars if you like it uh, and share it so other people can find out, find out about it. And thank you to everyone who's rated it already. Those are fantastic reviews. All right. Bye.